Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, this is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner. And today we're bringing you a conversation about funding infinite banking premiums. And this actually came to us through a listener. And I love the opportunity to answer listener questions because if you are asking a question, chances are other people are asking as well. And it's just a fantastic way to have a dialogue. I think we love dialogue even more than, um, you know, standing on the stage and telling you about everything. And it's hard in this format to have a conversation truly with you. But when you ask the question, we're able to talk back about the question. It's just so rewarding uh, to know that we're helping you through something that's on your mind. So this question, and I need to, I would like to read it as it was stated. And hopefully I will do that. So I'm going to go ahead and read the question. Um, We received this through an email, and this is from somebody who's been listening to our show and chiming in and really thinking about how to fund an infinite banking policy. Now, sometimes people are thinking, I'm going to fund this through my personal life, or I might fund this through my business. This particular person wanted to figure out ways to be more strategic in their business so that they could free up capital to fund an infinite banking policy. And here's the question. Um, I'll share the whole thing. He said, great stuff, you two. Way to add some serious value today. I think that was last week. If you could do a podcast with either a business owner or yourself talking about the areas in your business that you have found money to start this type of policy, concrete real-life examples of business expenses that a small business owner would normally incur, along with those equipment costs that most businesses need have a need for at some point, that would be great value if it got a little more granular. So the nature of his question is saying, how can I think differently? which is a great starting point. How can I think differently about my business and the expenses I'm paying in my business so that I can use this capital to be more efficient than just bringing in the revenue, paying the expense, getting the tax deduction on business expenses, which is a great strategy in itself, but how can I be even more strategic and add in this component of infinite banking? And can I do that by thinking differently about my expenses? So chances are, if you are listening to this show, you're probably a business owner or you would like to be, and we classify even real estate investors who have properties that they're managing as business owners as well. You're managing assets and you're having to think about how to strategically grow your revenue and think about your cash flows. It's all business decisions. So chances are you have opportunities in your business, just like this question asker, to be more strategic. And so we're going to talk about ways to be creative and strategic in those business expenses and financing to make sure that you are allowing the opportunity to also use infinite banking for all the tremendous advantages of infinite banking. Things like building up a store of capital, having liquid reserves, being able to have accessible cash that you can get to whenever you need to, and having even a death benefit that can help you in your own family and in your business. If you're looking for something like a buy-sell agreement to be able to have a, a business transition when you are moving out of the business. So Bruce, I know this conversation is going to be really exciting. What are your thoughts as we're coming into this topic? 
Well, uh, obviously, I think this is a great benefit for business owners. And I thought it was interesting. He said, could you have a business owner or you guys talk about it? And we're business owners. So I guess we're qualified to talk about this. Uh, <laughs> very interesting. But this this comes down to the first thing I like to say, there are people that are not business owners. So you people that aren't business owners listening to, to you can think like a business owner. And Excellent point. So example, I use my policies to actually pay my real estate taxes on my homes that I own. I own a couple of homes and they have property taxes that have to get paid at the end of the year. So I fund my policies and then I borrow against the cash value and I pay the property taxes. So that allows me to get somewhere in the neighborhood of another $20,000 that actually fund my policies. You could also do this with other expenses that you that might be a big expense. They have to be relatively big because small expenses that people try to run through this all the time, there's a cost to your administration of all these loans and loan repayments. And when I mean a cost, I mean it's a cost of your time. And that time could be more effectively spent doing something else. So that brings me to my next point with the business owner. If you're using this where you're saying, I love this idea, but I don't really have a lot of cash flow right now. So can I figure out some of the things that I can use in my business to actually fund this and then pay them off? And you don't have excess cash flow to repay the loans or repay next year's premium, then you need to delay starting this concept. It's very similar to a person that is so gun ho about starting this for real estate investing that they do not want to capitalize up front and they want to just build a skinny base policy with a lot of PUAs and just put it in and 30 days later, go borrow against it and go out and, and buy a piece of property. I tell those people, you know, why don't you just store up the money and buy the property and then use the cash flow from the property to actually fund your policy. That's a much more efficient way of doing things. It's a much safer way of doing things. And I think that's, that's the mindset you have to have. So I'd like to quote Nelson here. He says, since the, since the publication of this book, a number of people have expressed the concern that the figures used in equipment financing or for dividend scales of the year 2000 for that particular company, and they are out of date. So if you read Becoming Your Own Banker, you're going to see illustrations of running different expenses through the policies, and the illustrations are out of date. And Nelson says, that's okay. It is, it's true. And the dividend scales for most companies are down right now. Um, but that's what his point is, is that it's not about the rate of return. It's about an ever-increasing pool of money that you're getting for your business. I just had a CPA at the end of this, um, at the end of this, uh, we're, we're in May now, so we're right after. Can we pause for just a second? Bruce, can you hear me? Mm -hmm. Okay. Wayne Peterson says I can hear you both. Great. Thank you, Wayne. Great. Thank, thank you, Wayne. Okay, so what I was saying, what um, Nelson was talking about was 
you have to capitalize. And I know that's disappointing for a lot of people because they're, they're trying to understand that they want to get this going as fast as possible. And I tell people all the time, heck, we, we want you to get this going as fast as possible. However, we also want you to do it in a responsible way. So we will tell people, you know, let's get the capitalization going first. And that way, you can have a really robust banking system. What I was saying before is, after tax season, we, we were talking to a CPA, and he was espousing all the great things about having capital. And he was talking about the 2008 downturn because a lot of his clients, it's funny, and CPAs get asked a lot of, about a lot of things that maybe they don't have the total expertise on, but people think they do. And so they were asking him about, what do you think about the upcoming recession possibilities and the upcoming recession possibilities? And he said, well, as long as you're well capitalized, I think you'll be okay. And he was given the example of several business owners that he had that had whole life insurance policies during the 2008 mortgage crisis and the downturn. And one particular uh, company had $2 million of cash value during that time period. And then he said, another, CP, another CPA friend of his said, yeah, but what did he pay for the loan interest rate on that cash value when he had to borrow against it to run his company? And the, the other CPA said to him, it doesn't matter what his loan rate was. He had this pool of capital that kept his business running. So when you start focusing on interest rates, what am I making, so on so forth, it's about the pool of capital that's important. And we do have clients that are trying to figure out, okay, I'm borrowing here, I'm making money over here, what's the exact rate of return, so on and so forth. And I think you're missing the boat about the capitalization is very, very important. Now, why did I talk about all that? Because in order to run business expenses through the policy, you're going to have to capitalize for several years because you have the lack of liquidity early on. Now, the other question or part of the question I believe is this person, and this is where I'm gonna dive into right now, this person was saying, I like this concept, I don't have a lot of capital, excess capital in my business. So I believe what they're saying is, I'd like for you to tell me how I can find, because they said concrete examples of how I can find money in my business to fund this. So I'm going to give a few examples. Really quick. Bruce, I'm back. I can hear you. This is awesome. Loose uh, wire, and it was causing all these clicking things. I should have been alerted in advance. So I think you've basically covered, from what I'm gathering, that you've gone through that whole idea of making sure that you're not just capitalizing year one, expecting to pull money out year one, redlining a policy. That's the Is that the gist of what you've covered at this point? Correct. Correct. Okay. And I love um, the question of this person as well, because they're willing to say, look, I value this idea of using infinite banking. I want the benefits of infinite banking. How can I strategically be able to think differently to find and free up money? There are places where you are losing money 
in your life and in your business, usually by thinking the status quo way about money. And that has money flowing out of your control. And if you can find ways to recapture some of that, you can recover capital that can be used more strategically with infinite banking or with any form of savings. So go ahead, Bruce. So my next part was was to give the concrete examples from the listener was asking about, okay, I don't have any excess money in my business right now, but I like this concept. How can I find additional money? So this is this is a, um, we're going to give you some examples, but please, this is not a recommendation of what you should do because we would have to know your personal situation. But I'll just give you an example. Just two or three weeks ago when I was down with a business owner down in, a consultant down in uh, uh, Dallas, Texas, this person has been in business for 20 years and working with a, a CPA. And all they're doing is running the business as a sole proprietor. And so this person is profiting up to a quarter of a million dollars in their business a year. And I, and I said, well, why are you doing this as a sole proprietor? And he said, well, that's, that's really what they were talking. They told me to do. And I said, well, you ought to consider becoming an S corporation. Because if you can, we don't have time in this particular show to go over all the things about an S corporation, but an S corporation is not the same as an LLC. You know, you use a limited liability company to protect yourself, but it's not a corporation for tax purposes. You have to elect which which type of taxation you want. How you want to be taxed? Correct. You have to be. You have to be taxed that way. Well, this particular person could take what's called a reasonable salary to run the LLC, the, cor- the corporation, and it, let's just say it's a $100,000. And then the $150,000 could be taken as a distribution where now you're only going to have to pay your ordinary income taxes on this and not any of the FICA tax, which will save you 15.3% on that distribution amount. So right away, you've saved about $22,000 a year. Um, and that's only if you, that's only from federal taxes, because this was in, in Texas, they don't pay any state taxes. So you'll save more if you're in a state that has state taxes. So right away, you need to look at that. That would be an example of something that you could change the way you're being a tax with an S corporation. So that would be one way. If you don't have a bro- That's huge. I mean, that strategy right. in itself Again, you need to talk with a CPA, qualified tax professional, to make a determination on the right tax setup for you. But it's things like this that I think uh, are so often overlooked. And when this strategy becomes apparent, you realize that you didn't have to be paying all those taxes that you were paying just because you were set up a certain way. And if you realign how you are structured, you have a ability, which is maybe not public information, but it should be. And when it becomes public information to you, you have so many more options then to just not have as much money flowing out of your control. And I think this goes back to a couple of conversations we've had with tax professionals on the show who do tax strategy. And they say, look, you need to pay the IRS what is fair and square, but you don't need to tip them and you don't need to pay more than what's necessary. So it's about being strategic. It's not finding loopholes. It's using the tax code for 
your benefit and in your favor to find ways to use the incentives that the government puts in place for you to operate as a business owner that most people are just not educated on. Yes. And, you know, uh, one of our clients down in Houston, Texas, used one of our resources, a tax attorney. They were bigger and had more income. So they set up a combination of S corporations and C corporations. And, and they saved about $300,000 in taxes. So that per was a, yeah, per year, the way they set it up. So that is something that you really have to use a qualified person because as Tom Wilwright has said on more than one occasion, if you don't know who Tom Wilwright is, you ought to Google him. He's Robert Kiyosaki's accountant. Um, he says that the tax code is just simply a series of incentives. So you ought to really be using it for, for yourself because Congress is trying to get your behavior to work a certain way for obviously for the country or Congress wouldn't do it. So that is that is on the tax side. Now, on the other expenses that might be big in a business, such as insurances, you ought to really be working through a broker because a, and a broker that is not just says they're a broker, but they actually do broker it out every year on your renewal. Because a lot of people say they're a broker, they get the first year set and they don't ever review it. I would encourage you to take the time to hold your broker to the fire and actually review that because that could be several several thousand dollars of savings a year too. So that would be another savings. Uh, renegotiating your rent if you're if you're in a rental situation for your business, uh, that is possible. Now you got to get a little creative here. You can uh, extend the extend the length of the the term of the leasing agreement. So, example, you might be in a uh, a triple net lease where you're going five years, five years, five years. There's automatic um, acceleration of the lease in there, and then it's renewed every five years. You could t- you could tell the person, okay, what if I um, my my five years is coming up. What if I renew next time for six years instead of five years? So you pull the, the duration out further. And you may, be, you may be saying to yourself, well, I don't want to do that. I might be stuck for six years. Well, that's what I'm saying. You have to know your own situation. We don't know your situation. Mm-hmm. You could also uh, say to yourself, I have too much space right now. Is it possible I could sublease part of my building to somebody else for their purposes? You have to get that approved normally with your landlord to do that. So that would be another way to do it. Um, every little expense can be negotiated. You need to look at your internet expense. You need to look at your cleaning expense. You need to look at your IT, your merchant services. All these expenses could add up to thousands of dollars a year that will accelerate your your uh, capitalization phase of your infinite banking policy. So those are just examples of a couple of things that you could be doing. Let's go back to the insurance for a minute. One thing that is possible, and this is possible on the business insurance side and also on the personal insurance side, is looking at your deductibles. So for instance, if you have a store of capital. So think about if you are starting an infinite banking policy, you're going to have cash value. The cash value can sit 
in reserves and not be used or tapped into and just begin to grow for you. And having that capital on the sidelines then allows you the freedom to say, well, maybe I don't need a zero deductible, or maybe I don't need a $200 deductible on this particular insurance. And I could increase the deductible, which would decrease my monthly expense, which over time is going to save you a tremendous amount if you're not hitting your deductible. I know I see some uh, smiling going on from you, Bruce. I think what can happen easily in this though, is that person can say, well, yeah, well, what if I get in a car accident or, you know, what if the event that I'm insuring for happens the month after I make that change? It's possible. It's definitely possible. So you have to be willing to assume that risk. But if you have the capital sitting there, you're in a position to say, if I can change my deductible or raise that, that can lower my cost of insurance. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this as well, but there's also bundling. So sometimes a broker could be able to say, well, if I bundle these insurances under one company, you might get a discount yep. because you're bundling. So that yep. can be a strategic advantage of having a broker. Yeah, you have to. Uh, I was smiling because now my broker, who's really, really good, uh, when she talks to me every year, she, she knows I have a $10,000 deductible in my house. And she's like, you know, most people only have 1000 or 1500 And I explained to her several years ago why. And she goes, well, now that makes sense if you – there's two things that make sense here. Okay, so the first thing that makes sense is my premium goes down. Okay, so I'm paying less. Now, I know some people out there are going to say, well, yeah, but how many years is it going to go down? Let's say it goes down $500 a year and I got a $10,000 deductible. That means I'd have to go 20 years to actually equal that if without mm-hmm. a claim. However, remember, um, the, claim also, the claim also makes your insurance premiums go up. So now if I prepare not to make a claim for a small amount and I just pay it out of my policy because I've been saving that extra in my policy, not only, not only do I not have to pay the higher premium all the time, I don't make a claim now and the insurance company doesn't even know about it. Oh, by the way, that's a little tip too. Don't even, if you have a good broker, don't even let them know about the claim because what some people, what some brokers are say is, well, I'm going to go ahead and run the and see if it's better for you to put it through or not. As soon as you put it through, whether you take a settlement or not, it can affect your future rates because in the insurance company's mind, you're a higher risk because you had a claim. Even though we didn't have to pay it out, you had a claim. Mm -hmm. So don't even tell them about it or have a good broker like I do. And and I call her up and I say, hey, Carol, is this something we ought to explore? And And she'll say right away, let me check it out. I'll get back to you. And she goes, no, let's not even let's not even put it through the insurance company to see, because they're probably not going to pay for for it, or they are going to pay for it, but your rates are going to probably go up now. So you win in both directions. You've got to have a good insurance broker. I'm telling you, it can save you tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousand dollars over your lifetime, both on the personal and business side, from having a good broker to to, to talk you through these. Kind of thing. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, Rachel. How? And you're right, Rachel. If I was just having this conversation the other day with somebody, we were thinking about buying a another television because ours isn't acting properly. And the person says, "Would you? Well, including the, your uh, 
extended warranty. And I said, well, we don't want an extended warranty. Well, everybody gets an extended warranty, they said. I said, well, I'm not, I'm not everybody. I'm not getting an extended warranty. Well, don't you realize that these things are costly to repair? And I, I said, yes. Are you selling me something that you think is going to fail? And they're like, no, but you know, you just got to protect yourself. And I said, well, all I'm buying is insurance. That's all you're buying. Extended warranty is just an ex- insurance. So I never buy an extended warranty. And they're, and I'm telling you, it, most people must buy it oh, because sure. they, were, they were shocked that I wouldn't buy it. And so, but if I don't buy it, that's more money I can capitalize into a policy. Which and, you can think if, about this as well. Well, if it breaks, you have stored up more money to be able to purchase a new one, which hopefully it will just last and you're not going to have to pay for the expense of fixing it. But I mean, it's that question that you have to look at the trade-off and the opportunity cost in every situation. It's with, I mean, for goodness sakes, it's for pet insurance. It's for, um, you know, having certain uh, medications that you give to your pets as well. If you pay for the medication, will you lower the cost of treatment? Well, what if I didn't pay for the medication and I just had the treatment cost? If that arose and it's a low risk, well, then I could cut the cost there too. So you just have to think strategically and long-term, not just about what the person's best interest is who's trying to sell you the thing right in the moment. Yeah. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, I do know from talking to a lot of people that there are incentives for them to sell the extended warranties. And it is a value to some people. So it's, it's not a bad thing that they're selling them. But I am amazed that because when I talk to them, they're like, well, everybody buys it. Well, you know, people that have a lot of money are also buying it then. So do they not realize that they could actually do the same thing by putting that into a capitalization situation like a whole life policy and then just use the whole life to be their insurance company? Um, it's, it's another thing to think about. Oh, oh another absolutely. Thing, okay, so we're finished with the insurances. Another thing is shipping costs. For a company, if you're a company that has inventory, you need to talk about breakpoints with your with your company. So you say, okay, I'm going to buy twenty five hundred dollars of this inventory, and they're going to charge you X amount of dollars in shipping to get it to you. You can say to them, uh, "Can you waive the shipping?" That's the first thing you do, and sometimes they'll do it. The other thing you can say is, "How much do I have to purchase?" for you to waive the shipping. And they might say, well, we can waive the shipping if you go to $3,000 instead of $2,500. Well, you have to then understand that if you have some capital that you can now buy $500 more of the inventory, you save on the shipping. So having an ever-expanding pool of capital puts you in a place of negotiation Mm -hmm. that can save you for your company. Uh, services like accounting, legal services, so on and so forth, you might be able to get with a all, all-encompass thing where they're going to do your legal, your accounting, your bookkeeping, your CPA services, your tax preparation, and just bundle it all in one thing. And you could save up to a couple thousand dollars a year, depending on how big your, your company is on that. So, Rachel, those are kind of the bigger things um, that I wrote down that either I've experienced myself or I've had other of my business owner clients experience. Bruce, what about um, 
the situation of maybe renegotiating a loan or terms on a loan. Um, I know you talked about leasing costs if you're leasing a building, but what about if you had um, loans out or a mortgage within a business, or this would apply to personal as well. Let's talk a little bit about how you can think about the structure of a loan of a loan in a way that might free up capital. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about it as much now because we're in, a, at this time of the podcast, we're in a rising interest rate environment. And most people's loans are actually in a lower interest rate. But if, but if, even if it's in a lower interest rate, a lot of business owners have uh, adjustable rate loans or they have to renegotiate or recast the loans every five years, seven years, or 10 years. And so when that comes up, you could either try to, and in this environment, it's probably not going to work, but get a lower interest rate, or you could change the duration of the loan, how long the loan's uh, paid out so you can lower the the amount. And then Which still then you- may not make sense right now, considering the interest rate. I mean, if you have a 15-year mortgage on your house or in your business, and it's a shorter term, but it's a lower interest rate than what you're going to requalify for if you refinanced into a longer mortgage. I mean, it wouldn't make any sense if your if your total costs are going to go up with that each month. But the premise or the principle of the matter is a longer term loan is going to have lower payments each month, which is a lower fixed cost, which means you have more capital to be able to use on a discretionary basis to put into funding. Yeah. Some people might be screaming at the the podcast right now and say, yeah, but you're going to pay all this extra interest and it's a loan. You're not going to get it paid off. Well, that's because you, you're, you know, you're forgetting the extra savings then will be an ever increasing pool of capital that will be growing. And frankly, you could borrow against it at some time and pay it off even sooner. Or you could use it for another opportunity to actually grow your cash flow by greater than what your cost of capital was. By mm-hmm. by recasting the loan, taking the uh, loan out further, so you got to change the way you think when it comes to your business. It's it's all about the cash flow of your business, not am I paying back my loan, paying down my loan faster, because yes. that could be 15, 20 years out. And Rachel, you weren't um, you you had the audio problem, but I was just talking about the CP a CPA that I just talked to was so glad to hear that I was talking with business owners about whole life insurance because during the 2008 downturn, he had several business owners that went out of business because they didn't have access to capital. Mm. But he had several that had whole life insurance, one that actually had a $2 million cash value, and they were able to easily get through the 2008 mortgage crisis because they had capital. And then I was saying another CPA who was in the room was saying, yeah, but what did they have to pay for the loan? And the guy said, that makes no difference what he had to pay for the loan. He saved his business. Yes. And now he's making 20, 25% on, on his capital. So what he paid for the access to capital has nothing to do with it. He had access to capital. And that's yes. what every single business owner should be focusing on is the access to capital. Which I think another component that plays into this, we've talked about probably it's been several years since we had a conversation about paying off debt in general on the show, but I will point you back to an episode we did on the best way to pay off debt or something like that. I'm, I'll try to pull the link and pop that into the chat here. But 
the idea that you have to pay off every loan that you have in your business or your personal life as quickly as possible also can handicap you from having capital. So imagine you have a a business loan, you have some equipment financing, and you're not just paying them at the minimum rate, but you're putting as much capital as possible towards these um, liabilities. The challenge is to think about every single liability as debt and think, I need to get rid of this debt. I need to get out of this debt. I need to be free of this debt. And once it's cleared, then I'll feel better about the income that I have. And I think this happens to business owners as well as people who are in their personal life where they're just saying, I just need to be unencumbered by these liabilities. The problem is debt is truly negative net worth. And if you have positive equity greater than your liability, you are not in a negative net worth situation. So what you really want to think about is how do I put myself in a position of maximum control and absolutely paying off everything possible towards my liabilities is not going to put you in that position because all of that capital is flowing to someone else. It's to some financing, to some lending institution, and not into a position where you are holding capital for the future, capital reserves, like in a whole life policy that could allow you to weather a recession or a downturn or a high interest rate environment or a high inflationary environment, if that anything sounds familiar with what we're going through right now. Really what you need is capital in your control. So we have a couple of episodes that we've done, again, several years ago, but this was really thinking through from a cash flow standpoint, what are efficient loans to put as much capital towards as possible and what are not efficient loans to do that? And it's not just based on the interest rate. It's not just pay off high interest loans quicker and leave the low interest rate loans alone. It's really thinking about it from a cash flow perspective and thinking, how can I free up as much cash flow to direct into savings that I can preserve in my control? So I'm going to link those. Um, Bruce, I don't know if there's anything else you want to say there. No, not not on that subject. I have one more just kind of thing I want to touch upon and then Go ahead. Um, I'm good. So I think when a person gets it about having the whole life insurance being their store of capital, they get excited because business owners can be really, really creative. So then they say, okay, well, if it's good enough for this, I have ca- extra cash flow. Now I want to just take all my expenses and run it through. And Nelson actually talks about this, but I, I mentioned this on the podcast before. It wasn't until age 67 that Nelson got all the banks out of his life. Okay, so this is a process. You can't get so, you can't get so hyped up that you think you can do this right right away. So you know you don't want to take like variable expenses like um, like your cleaning supplies. You know, just very small expenses and try to run all those through, borrow against to pay for those. And why don't you want to do that? Well, it's very inefficient uh, use of your time. So the administrative cost is too high for you. You could be spending more time working on your business rather than trying to figure out how to run every single one of these expenses through your business. So really focus on major expenses, whether it's major, uh, I wrote down a bunch of things, the hard assets, the cars, the trucks, the, the lifts if you're in a manufacturing situation, power equipment, your capital inside, like if you're a restaurant, all the tables and chairs, that would be a good, the booths, 
those kind of things, the light fixtures. Of course, taxes that you're paying, quarterly taxes, could be another good thing. But even if you're paying quarterly taxes, I would not try to take a loan every quarter. I would take a loan every six months or even just maybe once a year and have a quarterly tax like uh, Michael McCallowitz. Um, you know, he talks about profit first and having different different uh, checking accounts for different things. Stick it in there. Will you pay a little bit more in interest? Yes, but that's not the point. It frees you up to actually do other things in your business to make more revenue than what you're actually paying. So those, those, that's just another thing, Rachel, I wanted to bring out is don't get so excited that you're trying to pay for you know pencils that you use or ballpoint pens or every little thing in your business. It, um, eventually, you might get there by by borrowing against once a year and just using that for your cash flow account. But that's going to take decades to get there. Absolutely, I think I think there's two separate buckets, and I wish I had explained this at the beginning, Bruce. Maybe you did already. You can just dismiss this if you've already covered this. But I think there's two different buckets of ways to think about freeing up capital in your business. One is thinking about expenses you already have to pay. So Bruce, you just mentioned quarterly taxes or taxes that you're paying. That's a large expense that you, it's not a surprise to you. So it's something you're planning for along the way. And so you are allocating resources along the way every month to be able to pay this larger expense. It could be other big stuff like equipment and stuff that you've just mentioned, Bruce. So if you're already allocating resources towards something, you could be thinking differently about saying, well, instead of just saving up inside the savings account in my business and then paying for this large expense, how can I run that through a policy first to then be able to pay for that big ticket item out of a policy? So that's one category. The other category is saying, how can I just think differently completely and free up capital that was going out of my control by thinking differently? Things like thinking differently about how I'm paying myself, how I'm structuring the business, how um, what tax strategy I'm using. And we didn't even mention other things that are on a tax strategist's mind when they're looking at your business. Many businesses are operating out of their home. You probably have a lot of expenses inside of your home that are being used by your business that can be properly allocated to the business as business expenses, which then provide the tax deduction, which then allow you to have more write-offs and save taxes on those type of expenses. So it's just thinking strategically and creatively in terms of what's flowing out of your control and how can you recapture some of that to never have to pay it again and make sure that that's being directed into your control. So that's things like restructuring your insurance and the way you're paid and possibly your business and your taxes and um, all all of the things there. So when you look at the first thing I mentioned, large ticket items that you know you're going to pay anyways, and thinking about running those through a policy. Bruce, you and I had a conversation before the show about how you can think about capital being directed to that. Did you mention anything about that already or not? No. Um, Do you want to share how somebody might be able to think about that in addition to capitalizing for multiple years? Because you really just don't want to be in a position where you're saying, I owe $40,000 in taxes at the end of this year. I'm going to go ahead and put $40,000 of premium in. I'm going to pull the $40,000 out 
in terms of cash value at the end of this year, you're going to run into a really big challenge, just the same as the real estate investors that say, I've got $100,000 of capital. I want to run that through a policy. I want to pull out 100000 of cash value to go buy the property. It's not going to work that way. You're not going to have the full liquidity in year one. And that's redlining a policy. It's just not a strategic or um, wise or prudent way to run a policy that you want to last. But Bruce, do you want to mention anything about the um, way that you can think strategically about putting premium dollars or putting dollars back into a policy if you're using that for large expenses? Yeah. First of all, if you just go back to Nelson's five tenants, think long-term and don't be afraid to capitalize. Okay. And it's funny, you know, Nelson's been, Nelson did this for his entire life. He, he wrote the book in 2000 and yet there's people in the last, I would say four or five years that say they figured out that, yeah, thanks Nelson for all your hard work over your 60 years of being in the insurance industry. But we've only been in the insurance industry for five to seven years and we've already figured out how to do it even better. And that's because they haven't gone through any economic downturns like Nelson did over his entire life. So when you when you feel like, and I'm, I know people are thinking about this concept, they're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. I put 40,000 in the first year, I'm gonna have access to about 28,000, but I need 40,000 to pay my quarterly taxes, but now I only have 28,000. How am I going to do that? And then you're thinking, okay, I, I'll take the 28,000 and I'll come up with another 12,000. But then next year, I got to pay the 28,000 back and I got to make my $40,000 premium. So how am I going to do that? Well, the first thing is you're going to go, you're going to get on an amortization schedule that maybe you, you determine with the person you work with. That's why you have to have an infinite banking practitioner actually work with you with the amortization and payback schedule. And then remember the 40,000, not all of it is a required payment. The base is required, but the PUAs are actually optional. So if you, if you look at some of the illustrations in Nelson's book, what he'll say is make the payback. So let's say on a, on a $28,000 loan, we've decided we're going to pay back $5,000 a year. Well, that's 5,000. Some people are, I know are screaming like, well, I got to make my $40,000 payment. Well, Nelson would say, no, we're still going to stay on the, four, the full 40,000, just that the premium now with the base and the PUAs will only be 35,000 and 5,000 will go to the loan. Now your capital won't grow as fast, but at least you know that you can make both of those payments. And then the next year, 5000 And remember, every year you make the $5,000 payment, most of that 5000 is being released as, as in the form of capital to be used again. So that's additional capital that's still growing as you pay it back. Not to and mention that every time you make a premium payment, that's also additional capital that's working to build more cash value for you. And then you're getting a dividend, you know, so on and so forth. And then the final thing is, if you're in business or you're a private individual just doing this on their own, thinking like a business owner, you're, you have to be in business to actually keep making a living and keep expanding your business where you're going to have more profits and more profits and more profits. I mean, I, I think it's funny. The, I think the first year I got into the insurance business in 1988, um, I was making $18,900. 
And for me, making a $25 a month premium payment to a whole life insurance, I was thinking, can I ever make a $25 payment for the rest of my life? Oh my God, it's going to be a stress on us, so on and so forth. But now, you know, it's funny. I don't even worry about that at all because I know every year I'm going to figure out a way to make more and more by adding value into people's lives and people are going to be attracted to you. They're going to use your goods and services. You're, you've got to run your life like a business. How can I make things better? How can I make things more efficient? How can I provide value to more people? And when you provide value to more people, you're going to get paid more not only from a single individual, probably, but from a multiple people. So you're going to have more capital to pay off the loan faster, to make your whole premium payment, and to start a second policy and a third policy. We have several of our clients that are business owners that they call us up after two years and say, I got all this extra cash. We got to start another policy. Mm-hmm. It just happened twice, twice at the Money Advantage in just the last couple of weeks. Our good friend, Wes Smith, who has his consulting company, he did it. And then uh, Bryant Sizemore, who owns a pharmacy, he's like, I got this excess cash. I want to take one out on my wife now. You're a good business owner is going to always have expanding capital uh, going forward. So you're going to be able to make both the loan payment and your premium payment in the future. This all is leading towards this idea of get started as soon as possible, but in a prudent way. And that sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because you want to start a policy before you feel like everything's under control and before you have enough money to fund all the policies you'll ever fund. So start now, the soonest, the sooner the better. Most people who start any whole life insurance policy, wish they did so five and 10 years before. And I can even say that in our own life, our first policy we began in 2012, I believe. So I think that's the correct year. We're in the ballpark of 10 to 12 years, 10 or 11 years with this policy in place. And man, I wish we had done that before we even got married. And we got married about 16 years ago. So every single person who comes to the realization that infinite banking is a valuable place to store cash wishes that they had already started a long time ago. The other side of that coin, though, is don't get so gung-ho that you put so much capital in that you can't have a sustainable process that's going to work in your life. If you say, let's put all the income into this, you're going to run into problems. You're going to feel very stressed and you're more at risk of a policy lapsing or collapsing and not being in a positive position or having a negative experience with whole life insurance. So just know that once you do get started, there are lots of options. If you come into a tough year and you can't pay the full premium, there are so many options besides canceling a policy. We have whole episodes on that as well. And we've talked about that in many different episodes. But the main thing that I will really encourage and commend you to do is to talk with an advisor because it's very difficult to make a decision about the right timing for you and the right amount of funding for you if you're not looking at the whole set of factors from an objective lens. And it's very difficult to look at anything financially completely objectively because we know that we make emotional decisions 
about our money. So you really want that second set of eyes looking at your situation, your financial picture, your goals, your plans, where you are on that trajectory, how close you are to meeting those goals, what strategic changes need to be made, what can be possible in your life that maybe you just didn't even see at all, how your thinking can be elevated to recognize when the best time to start is, which probably is now, but it might not be the size of policy that you're thinking of right now. So there's so many factors going into this to start a policy and to sustain a lifetime of infinite banking that's going to optimize your financial life. So that is a call to reach out to us if you don't already have an advisor who is doing all those things for you. So reach out to us at themoneyadvantage.com. You can book a call on our calendar and we'd love to help you through those questions. Bruce, we have a couple more minutes and I did see that we had a comment in here from Fritz. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, I did see it. And and Fritz, you obviously are very well-versed in what's going on right now. And thanks for the comment about, you know, banks are, are reluctant to um, loan capital in high interest rate environments because they just don't know where interest rates are heading next. The other thing they do not know, Fritz, and it's, I hope you would agree with this, is they know that, that that cost of capital being at a higher interest rate is also going to affect profits for the company. And you know, companies are going to try to pass that on to the consumer, but they can only pass on so much. And um, so they're afraid that there will not be enough profit to actually pay the loan back. Um, once again, this is a disclosure. We're not talking about investments. We're not giving any investment advice, but we are actually at E3. We actually work with a, a money lend, a private money lender that specializes in this kind of lending because the banks won't lend it. And um, the great thing about it is the banks actually call them and they say, we can't do this because of federal regulations, because federal regulations actually prevent certain things from happening um, with a particular loan situation. So they then call this particular company. They say, will you give the people this money, get them all set up, hit the federal regulations, and then we'll take it back from you guys. And they do it in anywhere between 12 and 18 months. Now they get paid for that. The cost of capital in that situation is very high. They can close in 30 to 45 days. They might charge you 10 to 12% interest for a short period of time. But once again, it's not about the interest rate for these, these uh, commercial real estate owners or commercial businesses. It's about the access to capital. Usually it happens in a death, a divorce, a partnership breakup, a disability, something that they just cannot handle right now. It's a big dra- uh, strain on it. But once they get it figured out, there's no problem to pay it back. Well, then the then the bank takes them back. So Fritz, very good comment. Thank you for doing that. Um, any comments back? Yes, true. It affects sales projections as well. Yes. And these are all the things that banks uh, understand. And uh, they're, I mean, they're not in the business of losing money, just like no business should be in the business of losing money. But if it's good enough for banks, it ought to be good enough for you. So you ought to be setting up your own whole life insurance uh, contract that mimics a bank. Absolutely. So I hope that we've answered the listener's question. I actually don't know who the listener is. I could probably have found it. It was a original, actually it was a YouTube comment. 
So maybe somebody who's listening to the show today, I don't know where the original question came from, but I think it was really valuable because this is something that we don't talk about a lot, but at the same time, it's really important to recognize that your thinking needs to elevate and change strategically in order to be able to not only fund, but sustain a profitable or to sustain an infinite banking system in your life, but also to be profitable financially. And so this is one way to be able to do that. I want to remind you, if you're newer to this concept and you're saying, I like what you're talking about, but I'm not sure, I want to just remind you, we have a lot of resources on what infinite banking is and what it does. And the power of infinite banking is using a specially designed whole life insurance product to be able to not only get the death benefit that you need, and desire in your financial life to be able to leave a legacy, to take care of your family, to um, protect them if anything were to happen to you. But you also are storing up this cash value inside the policy you have access to through policy loans. And because of that, you're in a powerful position of having that access to capital. And you do not need to require, or you don't have to qualify for it or um, prove anything to the insurance company in order to be able to access a loan that is a guaranteed benefit of being a policy owner when you work with the correct company that's a mutual company. So there's a lot of background behind this. You can dig into any of our resources. We have a free guide on infinite banking. If you want to go to themoneyadvantage.com, you can download that guide. You can find out a little bit more about infinite banking. And if this is a time that you would like to really think about how can you have access to capital, how can you preserve your ability to have that war chest in place in case of emergencies and to be able to weather any economic situation and downturn and whatever's going to come in the economy, whatever's going to come in business, whatever's going to come in interest rates and inflation, you want the capital to know that you're going to get through that safely. This is really a fantastic way to uh, preserve wealth and be able to pass that on to create generational wealth, not just for yourself during your lifetime. So we encourage you to reach out if that's questions, if those are questions that you have on your mind right now about how to do that. Thank you for being with us on the show today. Thank you, Bruce, for providing so much value. Um, thank you to my technology that decided to cooperate again. That was awesome. <laughs> and um, thank you for your questions and your comments that really just propel us and fuel us to give you more value and to really answer and speak to what specifically is on your mind. So we invite more of them. Put your questions into the comments below this video. You can also email us at hello at the money advantage. We also would encourage you to go ahead and give a thumbs up on this video if you're watching it anywhere, um, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, and if you are listening to the podcast later, we would encourage you to give us a rate and review just so that we can continue to share episodes and content like this for you. Thank you so much. And Bruce, anything else before I close? No, I'm good. Thank you. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. We will see you next time. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, Click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast. 
empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. 